here at Unorthodox, we like to engage in, you know, just like regular adult discussion. Um, but sometimes things get like a little out of hand and there there will be swears. So hide them, hide them kids. Hide hide the swears or hide the kids? No, we're not going to hide the swears. That's from hide your wife, hide your kid. Like, you know that? that yeah. No. What's it from? It was a web video circa like 2008. Hmm? Yep. Hello, Jews. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Uh, you see, be- since we got the complaint that I never put you first, you're it's it's all you I'm all the time. Always first, and then I got we got the correction to the complaint, which was that I was pretty much always first. Always to first. Begin with. And Tablet Senior, but those are alternative facts. <laughs> yep. Stephanie. <laughs> and Tablet Senior Writer Leah Leibowitz. Shalom, 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 shalom. Uh, this is a celebrity-packed, star-studded Unorthodox, and we're not even kidding. We're not. Kidding. Jew of the week is David Duchovny. <gasps> so call your friends. Put it. Hit pause, and now go call your friends and call, say they call have, your mom. Call your mom. Tell them they have to download it also. And our Gentile of the week is. Are you ready? John Cleese of Monty Python. This is. This is for real. In reality, it's just two people at a tablet <laughs> office <laughs> pretending to be David right. Duchovny. John Cleese. John Cleese. It's actually yeah, Mark just wearing a black T-shirt. It is me, John Cleese from the Monty <laughs> Python comedy group. Very funny. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Well, they'll have to they'll have to stay tuned to find out whether those were facts or alternative facts. Oh, so so we'll get to that in a moment. But first, um, any reports from the home front? What's what's going on? How are your weeks? Weeks are fine. Weeks are um, fine. Weeks I don't know. It's just chilling. No, weeks, Did look, you go to any marches? I went to Stephanie? the march this weekend. Sorry, New I, York or it's DC? Weird because Friday was so depressing. The inauguration, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Saturday, I went to the march in, in New York City. I marched with a group called Sanctuary for Families, um, which is sort of against gender violence in you know all sort of contexts. And I marched with my sister and my aunt and my cousin, who's a guy. It was really, really fun. He's in college. And my mom knit us pussy hats. Oh. And she knit four of them. Elise knits? Elise is an excellent knitter. She's pretty busy with the baby coming. Like she's going to, oh I'm pretty sure, God. knit like a full body suit for him to just wear. She's going to um, knit But a she took a break from that. Yeah. And to sleep in. Yeah. So she took a break from that and made us pussy hats. And the good news is now this is a word you say with your mom. Right. Totally. Like the, the phrase pussy hat. My grandpa said it last night on the phone to me. He's like, and, and all those pussy hats. And I was like, <gasps> grandpa. <laughs> and it's like, you saw these little girls with signs that said like, pussy grabs back. And you're like. Are we saying this? Like, have we? Is this just Our this word has been has normalized? Deteriorated just it doesn't mean anything anymore. More. Like, little kids can say it. I mean, oh, just girls, not boys. Um, I my friend was at the rally in New York City and had some really good signs, and they like photos of them went viral. She had one that said, "Melania, blink twice if you want us to save you," and it's on all these like Instagram things, and it's like she doesn't get any credit in a, a weird way, but it's like it's like. Of the people now. There is that picture. There's that that gif that shows Donald turning around from the podium to oh, yeah. look at her. And she smiles at him. And the second he turns away again, her face goes like steel. Like oh, she literally. The first great documentary of the Trump era. It, that who GIF. said there's no more art? Do you think that she's. What do you think is going on with that marriage? Because I have to say one of the weirdest things about him to me. And I would say this even if I supported his politics. Right. I am so creeped out by people who are in marriages where they seem not to know their partner. Like it's, it is so, and and I, I speak, I know all three of us, we all have like real relationships with our partner. Like we really like, you know, know, like you them. mean when your partner has like a podcast that you never listen to. <laughs> Right, our relationship, kind of our relationship. relationship. <laughs> is that how we're judging closeness now? Do you, I don't know. Do, do you re- li- and when do you listen? Do you listen Thursday morning? Right. Ben usually listens like by the end of the weekend. Were you implying Lisa doesn't listen to yours? No, 
Or we know oh, Sid that, no. doesn't listen. Sid doesn't listen. Lisa That's listens. Lisa listens. Oh, do you yeah. read? Do you read all the books that she edits? Of course. Okay. Well, anyway, sometimes. But <laughs> so. But then when she looks away from him, his face gets very dark, very steely. But as as reprehensible as I find him, um, I I feel so bad for her. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You know, I look at her face like you poor poor woman. Yeah. I really no. She really seems she and and now there's no out because if she divorces, like she becomes world news forever. She doesn't. I think she's a private person, and if she initiates divorce proceedings anytime in the next four years, you know, she becomes tabloid fodder in a way she doesn't want to. What she wants to is 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 hang out with her agoraphobia and her son in a New York apartment. So to you, Melania, the the third lady. Godspeed. The IDF has a rescue force, right? They're good at kidnapping people. <laughs> can they just out of, go in and get her? Yeah, are there some, <laughs> Trump Tower rescue you. Can somebody... A la Antebe. Antebe, right, exactly. Um, upcoming live shows, February 10th, will be at Temple Israel in West Palm Beach. Uh, we'd still love for you to rate us on iTunes. Uh, we're still giving out the special gifts. Uh, hundreds of you have taken us up on this, so the special gifts are for real. If you give us a rating on iTunes, and, you know, presumably it's a good one, let us know by sending an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and send your address, and we'll send you a nifty gift. Did you know that iTunes suppressed three to five million downloads of this podcast every week <laughs> we're actually the number one podcast oh, in by the world far, by the far the popular vote of podcasting is uh, ours. to keep us that way subscribe on itunes or stitcher or wherever um and I just want to uh, thank all the people who have done that. I want to thank these subscribers um, we have new newsletter subscribers uh, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter uh, unorthodox at tabletmag.com will get you that subscription this week, the new subscribers constitute the law firm of Sarah Jacoby, Derek Dorn, Wayne Schweitzer, Nancy from Ontario, Megan Goldberg, Ilana Jackson, Rabbi Jacques Kukierkorn, Elena Hoffenberg, Yakira Kelman, Colton Hansen, Colton Hansen, Ryan Fagan at Frozen Chosen Pack up in Alaska, Josh Ford, Richard Wolf, and Andrew Boone. Do you guys know Yakira Kelman or do you know Colton Hansen? I, Yakira Kelman is a Shakira impersonator um, who is like making the rounds in Israel. See, what I thought was her parents uh, loved Shakira, but they wanted to name her after Grandma Yael. So she's Yakira. You're Are you both, sure it's not both Ivanka Trump, Yael? completely wrong. She is a descendant of the great Japanese filmmaker Yakira Kurosawa. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she's continuing the tradition. Yakira, please be our friend still. We th- I think she should marry the unbelievably named Colton Hansen, who I would go gay for right now. Just based on like, his is name. he Jewish? I I don't care. Just based, no, I'm saying is, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Well, so lucky him. Last time I accused someone of not being Jewish based on their name, we got some mail, and we'll get to that. Colton, a, write us in a moment, Bryce. We have some sweet, sweet news of the Jews uh, that we just got to to get to. Um, so the first one is I encourage you to check out this news story that that Gwyneth Paltrow, half Jewish Gwyneth Paltrow, is on her website Goop selling. And this has become big news on the web. She's selling vaginal jade eggs, which I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> Your yoni does seem good. I don't know what oh, yoni means, but yoni, yoni is like is BB's brother. He's the one who led the Entebbe race. <laughs> so one of the things you find if you man. descend into the like the weird new age world is they're they're always in alternative medicine or new age talking about the woman's reproductive system as as her yoni, which apparently is a Sanskrit word for the whole reproductive system. But they always say like your yoni, the Sanskrit word for the source of all your wisdom. 
And according to Goop, her website, vaginal jade eggs were a secret product of the concubines in ancient China. They just make this stuff up. It's like the old J. Peterman catalog. And women who wear them, it recenters your chi. It like gives you better orgasms, lowers your cholesterol, and helps you keep your man. All of like this completely invented nonsense. You really stuff. can have it all. You really can have it all. I, I just know something is going on the wedding registry. I was just going right to say that's, that's what we're buying her. <laughs> but no, I think like uh, during all this talk of like reclaiming words like Yoni. the P word, like these women empowering themselves through, you know, like knitting things like that are typically, you know, used against them. Through high-end consumption products. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow wants us to buy like $60 I like eggs. Gwyneth. I'm I love sorry. her. She's great. And look, Who cares? Goop very clearly says that these are like not the views of Goop. These are the right. views of the writer and they were just interested. They're just talking These to aren't someone. the views of Goop. These are the views of the woman we hired to write Goop. Yeah. It is so. And by the way, it's sold out. Yeah, I just want to say this is one of the things that disgusts me about a lot of, and I'm just going to say new age slash alternative medicine slash spirituality, that whole netherworld is, Literally. look, look, women, like when you go down the road where you think that like yoga lowers your cholesterol or that like that there's such thing as energy or chi or whatever, you end up spending money on vaginal jade eggs and believing stories about ancient concubines. And before you know it, you're not vaccinating your children. Like if you don't believe in enlightenment science and rationalism in terms of your own health and wellness, Mark you'll believe anything. These are alternative facts. Anyway, Dr. Jen Gunter at drjengunter.wordpress.com has basically made a new career on doing takedowns of Gwyneth and the vaginal jade eggs. We got to get to Ivanka. She apparently got a um, rabbinic, what would you call it? Like a hater. A, a, a Dispensation? Pos, a, shu, a teshuva. A what hater. is it? A, just a hater. <laughs> she got a hater from some a rabbi. Hater? Not a hater. But a, a hater is going to hate. Hater. Yeah. She got a little dispensation, a little, a little do as you will, from an unnamed rabbi saying that she could travel on Shabbat um, in the inaugural. Well, it wasn't even in the inauguration. It was like the aftermath. Well, yeah, the it ball. was like Friday this night. And this is what do, we don't know. The Jerusalem Post reported this, but but didn't actually say why. What the reasoning was was it to save a life because you can violate, um, you know, the the malachas to save a life. Like why? It's isn't it the same dispensation that's given to like soldiers or surgeons who like could save a life on Shabbat. Because Ivanka could save a no, life? No, because, the because their were lives like, were in danger right, if the rabbis, they walked. The rabbis were like, look, there are so few people going to be at that thing that really every soul counts. Oh I have a few God. things to say about I, this. She could have walked whole stretches of Pennsylvania Avenue without... As long as, long as you say, you know, the, the, the special blessing for the Trump inauguration, uh, Baruch Atah Adonai Bore Priha Golden Showers... Uh, then you're fine. We're going to keep that but alive. This 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 whole story came from like a radio, an Israeli radio interview with the chair of the Republican Party in Israel, which I did not realize was a thing. So we don't know who the rabbi was. We don't know what it is. But the best thing about this Jerusalem Post article is that we learned that um, Ivanka, when she converted, adopted the Hebrew name Yael. Yeah. Oh, that's I love great. that. Yael. There's a great tweet about this from Sarah Brieger, who works at Moment Magazine. And she says, I can't handle four years of everyone freaking out over all of Ivanka and Jared's halachic decisions. And I kind of agree with that. Like, we're obsessed with finding out that they take, like, loopholes to Judaism. I just think, right. like, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Like, they make, they are the shield. Like, nah. look, look, Donald's not an anti-Semite. He has a Jewish now, you daughter. Know, you, know, you know what it really was? It, it really was the rabbis, like, you still support that man? Go ahead, do, do, whatever, do whatever you want. You want At right. this point, it doesn't right. fucking matter. Um, you know where you're going. It's okay. And if she died on Shabbat because she 
didn't take the dispensation, she would join all of the Israeli soldiers who die from smoking too much. Because our next bit of news of the Jews is Israeli. <laughs> wow, that was grim. Did you like that? Did you like that segue? Jesus Christ. Because Israeli army smoking problem. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency ran a hilarious story about how um, a new study uh, from the Israeli Defense Forces uh, laments the fact that something like 25% of Israelis enter the army as smokers and like what, 42% leave. Basically, everyone takes up smoking in the army. Leal Leibowitz. That, uh, is, that is right. Is we, that have, the, we have a smoking problem. It here. is true. We to, are all smoking <laughs> hot. It's a thousand percent true. Everyone takes a smoke I in the army. smoking in the well, Israeli army. And, unla- and they make the point. This is not actually true in the American armies. A minority enters smokers of about the same not. leave because, as smokers. Because the, because the Israeli army is college. You go on co-ed bases. You're 18. It's your first time out of the freaking house and everybody does it. You're in some Fakakta <laughs> desert base, right? There are girls. There's alcohol. And everyone smokes. And like it's a and lot for of the girls, freaking fun. There, there are, are boys. Guys. That's right. And for the lesbians, there are girls. And for and the, ev- everyone is there, has everything. Just, Wait, what about is, why lesbians? What about gay For men? the gay men. I was just yada yada, et no, cetera, think, et cetera. I think you were sexualizing the yes, idea of like army lesbians, which I find offensive. <laughs> Is there just insane amounts of casual sex in the Israeli army? Oh, fuck yeah. Of course. What else would you do? Is it like you birthright fight, for like yeah, a few years? Yeah, you fight for like 15% of the time, right? The rest of it. If this, you're lucky. What do you right, do? Right. Like Mo- you're in this space. It's in the middle of the freaking desert. What do you do? What yeah, do you think- smoke cigarettes <laughs> and you fornicate. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Our Jew of the Week is author and actor David Duchovny. You may know him from this little show called The X-Files or this other little show called Californication. But he's also a fiction writer of great talent. And his latest uh, is a novel called Bucky Fucking Dent. It has a little asterisk in the middle of the F word so that, like, your kids won't know at all what it is. Um, And we're elated that we got this half-Jew, David Duchovny, to be our all-Jew of the Week. Let's get him on the line. Hello? Uh, hello, Mr. Duchovny. Who is this? This is Mark Oppenheimer from the uh, the podcast Unorthodox. Oh, hey. How are uh, you? Totally spaced out. That's okay. That's great. You thought it was your stalker great. calling, didn't you? Well, you know, I not a lot of people have my number, so <laughs> it was just a... Uh, and I don't want to say you sounded like you were trying to sell something. Not at all. Definitely not. Um, do you still have ten? No. Do you still have ten minutes for us? I do. Awesome. I do. All right. Yeah. So um, I'm here. My name's Mark. I'm here with uh, my co-host Liel Leibowitz. Hello. We're trying to sell Judaism. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Stephanie Butner. Yeah, you've been selling that a long time. Oh yeah. And Stephanie Butner. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. Uh, so you know, I, I um, I have to tell you, I'm I'm probably the kind of person that you hate talking to the most. Uh, by which I mean to say, an obsessive ex-files. Uh, fan, uh, you Just know, you I, wait. I, I, I you once will. risked being court-martialed by the Israeli army because I failed to report for duty until the X Files episode was done for the week. Um, You're kidding, aren't you? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. I would love to see the transcript of that trial. You know, guard guard duty started at like eleven, and the show aired. It was late at night. It aired until I think like eleven thirty-five, and so I reported for duty at eleven forty. And said like, I'm sorry, but there are priorities. Uh, well. What I'm I want to ask, to though, is... tell Chris Carter that story later on in the day. Oh, my God. It's going to zip around their alumni email list. Jillian's going to get it. Chris Carter's going to get it. <laughs> my question, though, is this. Right. I mean, especially watching the, 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 the amazing kind of um, you know, miniseries last year, it, it, which revolved around this kind of uh, Alex Jones-like conspiracy theory radio yeah. host. Does it feel to you like we're living in an episode of The X-Files right now? 
Well, in a sense, I, I feel like, and we are talking about maybe doing some more, and I'm kind of excited. You know, as much as I'm horrified by the state of affairs in the country, I'm excited uh, as an artist to tackle these kinds of issues through the, the frame of the X-Files in this day and age. I mean, the, the idea that I'm going to shoot a scene in Skinner's office with a, a picture of Donald Trump in the background, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you oh, how nauseous that makes me feel. But, you know, I also think we have some good work to do in and around this age. So clearly the X-Files has always sort of had this rabid fan base, but it's also had a really interesting half-life um, on the internet. And, you know, like, I want to believe, which is obviously the poster um, in your office, is yeah. now, like, mm. a very popular meme. My favorite one is I want to believe with the cat on top. Da- David, I should say, I didn't know anything about this. Stephanie sort of tracks the interwebs for us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've seen everything you've ever done and I've read your books, but I didn't know that there was this this internet No, but you, you guys have life. lived on as, like... I didn't know either. But, but is it funny to you? Like, even the one, I think you tweeted it was you as Bob Ross painting and I want to believe sign. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh to me i didn't even was i painting and i want to believe son i didn't even know i just liked that i was i'd been turned into bob ross <laughs> but like how does it feel so i mean you guys are like i feel like there were pictures of you at the march like you you guys the, your duo has lived on in this very funny way yeah it's it's like uh it has nothing to do with me you know it's uh it's a a character i played or continue to play it's a job that i did a long time ago or will do again in the future um, and what happens, you know, like any any uh, work of art that one does, be it a novel or a, or a movie or a TV show or a character, you know, once you once you put it out there, it's kind of no longer under your control, especially in this this bricolage internet world that we we live in, where everybody gets kind of transformed and morphed into memes and gifs and things like that. So I, I tend to not pay any notice unless it really tickles me like becoming Bob Ross. Like, don't we all want to be Bob Ross? So you, I yes. noticed, I, I noticed in, in, in this book, in the Bucky Dent book that, uh, I mean, it's, it's very, the, the, the main character, the stoner deadhead, you know, yeah. peanut salesman, peanut hawker at Yankee stadium, yeah. very literate guy. You, you did grad school in English literature for a year or two, right? Uh, well, for really four years. Yeah. Okay. I too was I still a... might be in graduate school. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever really terminated my, uh, were you at Yale? Time. Am I right that you were at Yale? Or were uh-huh. you, Princeton? you were at Yale. So I too was a Yale grad, Yale doctoral student. And I too mm. thought about dropping out and in fact thought about dropping out to act. And then I thought that wouldn't go very well. Really? Yeah, really. And so I had to finish the damn thing, but you dropped out and I just, I was curious, like you were four years in, I mean, were you thinking was the alternate path? I'll be an English professor. Like what was, and were you a Chaucer yes. guy? Were you a Milton guy? Like what, what was your, what was the alternate path? No and no to Chaucer and Milton, although I'm a fan of both, but, uh, uh, the plan uh, was to get the PhD and to teach at college level somewhere and uh, eventually get tenure. And I was attracted to a lifestyle that afforded me the chance to write, you know, that, that I would have three, four months out of the year, uh, summer vacations to, to write what I would write novels or I would write poetry. I don't know what I was writing at the time. And and you and, ended up there. I mean, that's the amazing thing. But wh- so, what was the moment when you? Why'd you leave? I I, I wish I could tell you that that, that I make decisions like that. Um, as, as you know, having been a graduate student, you don't really drop out of graduate school the way you might drop out of undergraduate. <laughs> you drift you know, off. The, the, 
Yeah, because nobody's really keeping tabs on you. I sat my orals. I was, for all anybody knew, I was working on my dissertation. For all I knew, I was working on my dissertation. But I was also, I was also teaching, and I was also coming into. I was in New Haven. I was coming into New York um, on the Metro North to go to acting class a couple times a week. So I was, I was kind of just seeing what that was about. Um, once I really got off campus, once I really got out of New Haven and was commuting to New Haven from New York rather than vice versa, then the, the kind of gravitational pull of the dissertation started to wane. So you could still finish and it. You could be on leave right now. For, what was, what was it going to be on? What were you going to write about? That's why I said I might still be in graduate school. <laughs> we don't know. You could still have a mailbox uh, in Lindsley Chit. You might have a lot of student <laughs> debt though. <laughs> What was the dissertation going to be on? Both my mother and I uh, took out loans, but only for undergraduate. I was I was lucky enough to get a uh, he was on fellowship, a Mellon Fellowship to uh, dude. To I got a Mellon Fellowship. You and I are the same. We are you the should s- have you should have been an actor. <laughs> you just made Mark's life yeah, complete. Mark, right. Mark is devastated. Here. We can't let you go without talking about Californication, which actually is my favorite uh, of your of your output. I really not did, his thesis. I really did enjoy the novel, and I'm looking forward to the dissertation. <laughs> well, let me tell you what my thesis was on. Yeah, yeah. Before your question, it was called Magic and Technology in Contemporary American Fiction and Poetry, and it was it was going to discuss Mailer and Ishmael Reed and James Merrill and the Canadian author named Robertson Davies. Oh my God. That's literally the best thing ever. That's, Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Do you want to be a co-host of the show? <laughs> if like this sure. whole acting, yeah, writing, out, man, then music right thing here. doesn't work out. That is the, completely... The show could be writers who should have been actors and we'll just, we'll find them all. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, so, okay, before before we let you go... Question the, about Californication. We got, so I really loved Californication and I, I, it's fair to say probably it didn't develop the cult following that Twin Peaks or X-Files or No Doubt. Oh no, yeah, sure. You know, yeah. well, but I always got the feeling that, that, that you really loved it. I felt like you were like you were all in as an actor on that show. I felt like Hank yeah. was a really well-inhabited character. Um, yeah. Like what... I'm just curious, like, how did you make that choice? What made you commit? You did what? Six seasons? finally a professor. You know, right. I mean, now I'm hearing you thinking you're a writer slash professor. But yeah, we did seven, seven seasons. Um, Like that was a major part of your your output. And what what did you like? What did you like about that? And by the way, the chemistry with Natasha McElhone was also amazing. I think it was a real. Yeah, it felt like she's she's a terrific actress and person. Um, I, I, I embraced the character, as you say, because. He was really one of those truth-telling characters, I guess, like Mulder in a way. That he, you know, if Mulder speaks truth to power, you know, Hank speaks truth <laughs> just all the time. all the t- to women, to his daughter. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed the comedy, turning that kind of the soul of that character full circle uh, from from say a Mulder, who's extremely sincere. So, what are you reading these days? Uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm actually waiting for notes on the next novel oh, that nice. I, I managed to, to, to write over the past year. And uh, so I never read while I'm writing. So I haven't I haven't been uh, reading, although I, I keep on uh, buying books uh, to read. Uh, I want to read Rachel Cusk's new new novel. I think she's a terrific writer. And uh, that's kind of next up. And next we hear the, uh, the art of the deal is pretty good. <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, uh, he's like Scientology. I think he probably 
has you know buys copies of his own book to oh, that's keep exactly on the right. list. He's he's the Elvon Hubbard of our day. Actually, why don't we conclude yeah. with this question, which is as an actor, when you watch when you watch him, do you think he's acting? Bad actor. Oh, is he acting? Um you know, the state of Trump's uh psyche is 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 like a it's a spectator sport at this point people <laughs> don't know whether he's whether he's actually uh mentally ill or some kind of genius actor faker um my sense because i've seen him try to act on the apprentice and things like that my sense he's a, just a terrible wooden wooden i mean he can't approximate humanity he's just, it's just not within <laughs> his soul yeah, so Melania would agree. Is, <laughs> poor girl. My sense is that he's ill. Um, I I leave you with this story, uh, David Duchovny, which is that um, your novel was you sitting. Have no comment. You don't think he's ill? How about the... oh no? We think? agree with yeah, you one thousand percent. We're terrified. Yes, it's, and and by the way, that's you a... don't think you don't think he's acting. No. It's really no, odd, right? Because I. I tend to think about a lot of Scientologists that they have that kind of hollowed out psyche but then some of them act really well they approximate humanity very well when they set out to do it right um well there's a lot in science i mean i know a little bit about scientology because a very good friend of mine was a scientologist for many many years and he he talked to me a lot about what they call the tech the technology of it and a lot of scientology has to do with uh with changing your energy and 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 changing your affect so i think I don't think Trump has any of that. You know, his his affect is always exactly the same. Um, the whole thing about like the the inauguration crowds, like he keeps harping on these things that if you were acting, you wouldn't do. The only the only explanation I've heard that make again any any explanation that makes him into a genius, I'm I'm really wary of because I just don't buy it. I just don't see it. But you know, the genius explanation is he knows that his cabinet is full of shit. And that to distract from any kind of substantive discussion of his political picks for his cabinet, he keeps on tweeting ridiculous things about the size of crowds and his his campaign. Yeah, I don't buy that. Uh, either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it works, but I don't really think he thinks it through like that. Yeah, I mean, my and that's by the way is also one of the great differences between him and the really successful fascists, right? Is that they were single-minded obsessives, right? I mean, Hitler had one thought for twenty years before he came to power, which was <laughs> it was the Jews are the problem, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I thought it was I want to be a painter. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, or, <laughs> he wanted to be Bob Ross too. He's a misunderstood <laughs> artist. Um, he wanted to believe. He wanted to believe. So um, he did. So he did believe. I, I, I can't let you go without telling you the story, which is that your novel was sitting on, on the coffee table in, in my in, in our den. And, um, of course, it's Bucky fucking den, but the, the, right. the middle word has an asterisk where the you would go. Yeah. But my six-year-old, a, 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 a well-read and literate child, she was staring right. at it. She was trying to figure out what does that – what is that asterisk? What's going on there? And then all of a sudden – and she's a very – of my kids, she's sort of the most – Claire is the most prim, and she really doesn't like obscenity or or anything right. anything messy about life. And right. she, I saw all of a sudden her eyes widened, and she figured out what the middle word was doing that it was that it was the, the f word. And she turned to me and said, "Oh, Daddy, could you please move that book so I don't have to look at it?" <laughs> so, did, did you did you did you use your teaching moment and tell her it was a gerund? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what I should have done. That's, see, that's he will what, do it when the movie comes out. How about that? That's, where, that's right. When we see the movie poster, that's where I'm going. So, Professor um, Duchovny. Anyway, everyone should read the book and, and watch Californication. And um, David Duchovny. Not her, though. You know, not, not her. <laughs> not yet, at least. I have to say, yeah. Until she becomes a teenager. That movie then is, you got problems. That movie's NC-17 at best. Or that TV show yes. is... Um, yes. By the yes. way, that the, the vasectomy scene in that still haunts me. Like, I get queasy... <laughs> I get queasy thinking about it because it's the only time I ever really grasped what a vasectomy was when you when the, he holds up with the tweezers the little removed piece and I still get faint even recounting that now. It's, it's one of my one of my most cherished ad-libs of all time because I actually I directed that episode <laughs> and I, I asked for some smoke coming off of the coming off screen when he's working on the uh, on it the doctor is and and I say, "Mm, looks like there's a new pope." <laughs> David Duchovny, you're an inspiration to us all. Thank you for. Uh, I, we didn't even mention you, but you. you are. You know, we always on this show have one Jewish guest every week. You're the Jew of the week this week. I'm a half. Like, can I be the half Jew of the week? I can't disrespect my mother, the Scottish Lutheran. No disrespect like your mother, but you're the Jew of the week, right? Because okay. the uh, Gentile okay. of the week is John Cleese, so he has no Jew in him. Whatsoever. He's more Gentilic than yeah, you. you sorry, <laughs> I'd be flattered if I could come back at another time and be the Gentile of the week. We would love nothing more. And I'm and I'm telling I'm telling the uh, the Israeli story as soon as I get off the phone. Listen, it was a settlement. Uh, it was guard <laughs> duty. Uh, there were no DVRs. This was basically what I lived for: is Thursday nights. You had episodes. to make a decision. I had to make a decision. <laughs> And it's like, you know what? I'm sorry, Mulder and Scully That's mean way more to me than, now. Right, than the Nobody IDF. So. have to make a decision. <laughs> I was like, fuck the IDF. I'm with the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye. Thank you. Bye. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Oh boy, the mailbox guys. The mailbox. What is there to say? The mailbox. Dumb mailbox. We should have like a mailbag song. Yeah, what? Noah? Yeah. Noah, find us a mailbag like song. The, you've got mail. No, the Jubador has to come up with a mailbox song. Jim, yeah, he does. Yeah. Okay, we'll be in touch with him. All right, the mail, the mail, making it's copies. Not it's not that. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. 
thanks to Keith Danish and self-professed Gen X Staten Island Jewess. That was her term. Lauren Goldhirsch. Um, by the way, I would totally watch an indie movie called Gen X Staten Island Jewess. Yeah. And I, it would I like star. I had to say it was her term. So like you weren't offending anyone. Yeah. The Jew, right. Because I don't starring, do that. Starring uh, Greta Gerwig. <laughs> but I was going to say. Like I was going to say Natasha Leone, but she's probably aged out of that particular lead. I'm, I'm casting Haley Steinfeld in it. Nice. Very good. Um, I want to thank Keith and Lauren for writing to chastise me for my resistance to black and white films. This has been ongoing. Thank you. Um, Lauren had some suggestions. She wanted me to see Roman Holiday, Follow, the, yes. follow the Fleet, Terrific. Gaslight. Terrific. It happened one Gaslight night. Gaslight is like what's happening to our country. That's now, right. So it's a good primer. I it learned... happened one night, also happened to our country <laughs> on November 8th. <laughs> it happened one night, Some Like It Hot. That's also true about and, our country. And Holiday. So that's my, you know what? I'm going to watch all those. For, for Lauren, I'm going to watch all those. It's for you, Gen X, Staten Island Jewess. Lauren, give me a month and I'll watch all those. Uh, Nancy Burrow writes, I subscribed to your podcast because I want to understand Judaism more. I'm an Episcopalian studying Christianity. Also, I observe that if every Jew were removed from NPR, national print journalism, and entertainment, this country would be nearly bereft of culture. Thanks, Nancy Burrow. <laughs> Nancy, so she just wrote in to be like, you guys do control the media. <laughs> She's like, what would we also, do with that terror? From gross? the Goldman Sachs and Chase, we would have no banking. <laughs> Nancy, we're playing with you, but it's awesome to get a letter from an, Episcop- an Episcopalian. Nancy, saying, we like, do control the media. Let's be completely love honest Jews. here. We love the Jews. And also, you guys have a lot of power. Pass the gin. Yes. No, it's like we it's like do. and you guys are really good at all that stuff. It's like I think I'm I'm taking a more optimistic. Poor reading. Nancy is probably horrified. No, Nancy, Nancy, we love you. We love so you much. so love much. Nancy. We love we love the fact that people notice our immense cultural power. And you know who else has cultural power? Episcopalians, because they admitted us to the golf clubs. Because you know what they control? <laughs> they, Literally everything else. Every, the banks. <laughs> everything that matters. <laughs> That's right. That was no, we really that was a wonderful email. No, all kidding aside. Uh, and good luck with your your studies in in Episcopalianism and Judaism. Uh, dear unorthodox hosts. Well, last week's episode was a touch boxy a eh? parenthesis box is one of my most used euphemisms for vagina. It's descriptive and terse closed parenthesis. I thought you might like to know that my friend Ava told me that her family's word for vagina was knish. Isn't that cute? Shabbat Shalom, Sharon Graham, Winnipeg. What What was our, how were we boxy last week? I don't even remember, but we did have a moment. I can't remember we because this week Jewish was so boxy. vaginas versus uteruses. This yeah. is before this week's pussy hat extravaganza. Oh, right. We talked about, yes, someone wrote in did. to say, wouldn't you say, the, the, the line is, if it came out of a Jewish yeah. Right. By vagina. the way, we're completely missing the point of this letter, which is Winnipeg? <laughs> Also, I wow. really like it because she's like, you guys were like pretty dirty last week. Also, here are some other ways to yeah, say, to say it. Like, just be be more creative. Uh, yeah, I like it. You know, instead Yoni. Of, at the next march, we should actually do like pussy kippas. The pussy kipote. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like that it's a knish. It's a k- yeah. yeah. If we just had like, I feel like, like Jewish food names for all sex acts, like, yeah. oh, these two just did cholent all night long. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're farfling. Oh, she smelled like whitefish. <laughs> they're farfling. <laughs> they're Kna- farfling. His canadals. amazing. <laughs> they canadled. Boy, I'm glad we had the warning this week. All right. Um, Our listener, Mitch Blum, was intrigued by our discussion of the name Myron. He writes, (laughs) oh, I love that we have a Myron meme. He writes, my great uncle Myron was a fascinating guy, a Tennessee Jew. He had a pacifist father. He was a lifelong vegan and he worked on the Manhattan Project. (laughs) That is no joke. That's like a serious resume. (laughs) Yeah. Um, When he passed, my whole family went down to Tennessee to pay our respects. At his funeral, all the locals kept talking about this guy, Mike, who we'd never heard of until we realized that our Myron actually went by the name Mike in Tennessee. And we had no idea for like 30 years. A Myron by any other name still smells like roasted vegetables. Yours, Mitch Blum. Mitch, I don't know what that means about the roasted vegetables. Well, he's a vegan. 
Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Oh, I didn't realize there were vegans then. In it's Tennessee. a Shakespeare reference. He was a just Tennessee saying. vegan named Myron. That is intense. Please, Mike. Mitch, I'm so pleased that you wrote, but I do want to say that I really hate the euphemism past for died. And I think it's really goyish, like really, really sort of precious, um, you know. Well, like, it's like talking around it. Yeah, like congregationalists' uncles pass. I feel like Jews die. Jews die. Jews but die. maybe Jews in Tennessee pass. They do because they're surrounded by so many Well, they Gentiles. pass if their name is Mike. All right. They're all week. Um, we love your mail, as I think you can tell. As ever, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com and then go to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe. It is our only source of self-validation. That's, That's all we got, guys. That's really all we have. I dip into that box late Saturday These night. These days more than ever. Is box a euphemism I, for vagina here? Or? I, no, uh, he, he's actually eating a knish. I'm canadling As I'm farfling. As I'm farfling. Okay, Gentile of the Week. Very special Gentile of the Week this week, uh, at least for those of us who spent much of our teenage years watching Monty Python movies and for anyone who loves comedy. Our Gentile of the Week is John Cleese of the great British troupe Monty Python. Uh, we sent Liel Leibowitz offsite to do a special interview with him. He pre-recorded this. Liel, how, how was it? This is as close as I will get to speaking to someone who I like reveal like the Pope, say. This is as close to a Wait, pope. Wait, the regular pope or the young pope? No, no, to, to the young pope. Jude Law? Uh, How deep was your knowledge of, of Cleese's work? Absolute. Absolute. Like, oh, yeah. Absolute. It, every it, episode, it, every movie. Every, not just this. Early, early comedic troupe stuff, uh, you know. Deep YouTube. So you were the oh, man yeah. for the job. Yeah. Yeah? All right, give a listen. You, sir, are our Gentile of the Week. Have you ever been? <laughs> Love that. Oh, I'm very proud. Can I put that on my Twitter? I I, I would be so honored. Uh, let me apologize to you before we begin. Uh, you're the closest thing that I have as as a, a nice Jewish boy to a pope. So I am <laughs> very nervous to talk to you today. And so if my questions come off as completely inane, kindly forgive me. No, no, they won't. They don't, because I say a terrible prejudice about the Jews, which is that they tend to be rather bright. <laughs> and, and so let's let, let's jump right in. You know, the the, the book was uh, really astonishingly good, and I've read it when it came out. I I, I loved listening to you read it, uh, and and among the the many stories about your childhood that delighted me was the fact that y- your parents, uh, who came from as you describe it, uh, irreconcilable social classes. Right, your your mother was lower, mm. upper, middle, middle class, and your father was slightly lower than that. Uh, eloped and and moved to Golders Green, sort of the heart of of Jewish London. So you could have been born there. You could have been one of us. I could, I could, and um, I was terribly pleased when Dad used to tell me and explain to me about the Yiddish that his Jewish friends had taught him, and they would play little jokes on their friends. They'd bring them along, and then they'd say at a particular point, Dad ask him a question, and he would suddenly stopped using all the Yiddish words, and the friends would be astonished that this very Edwardian gentleman was suddenly speaking almost fluent Yiddish. <laughs> well, one of the moments uh, in, in the book about, and this again goes back to your, to your early career, so this is, I believe, 1961, and you're sitting there at a performance, completely by chance, um, seeing Beyond the Fringe and, and the, the famous comedy group, and Dudley Moore is making this joke, uh, saying something oh. like, well, you know, I'm, I'm middle class, but at least I'm not a Jew like Jonathan Miller. And t- t- tell, me, tell me about that moment. I just thought it was so wonderful, partly because you could see in the audience the dis- 
discomfort was absolutely... There were some people who were just laughing, but they weren't just laughing at what was going on on stage. They were laughing at the discomfort in the audience. Do you see what I mean? So half the members are horrified and the other half are laughing at them for being horrified. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And when Jonathan Miller came out and said, I'm not a Jew, he said, I'm Jewish. I don't go the whole hog. I thought it was... (laughs) <laughs> I think there's something about prejudice that is so random. Do you see what I mean? And uh, it just it just hit my funny bone. Uh, you, you wrote the book first and, and now recorded it uh, in your own voice as an audiobook. Mm. W- was it like a 16-hour therapy session recording the, the book? No, because I've had so much therapy. I've had an enormous amount of therapy. One of the... Uh, advantages of marrying an American very early on in my life was that I became much more open to the idea of therapy than most of my contemporaries in Britain. And I think therapy, when it is well practiced, and a lot of the time I think it's pretty much rubbish, but when you've got a good therapist, a good yeah, a good therapist, it can be hugely, hugely advantageous in the long run. And but the thing is that it means you basically, when you get to write your autobiography, you've already worked through 95% of the emotional discomforts of your life. And uh, whereas, for example, I heard, probably shouldn't quote this, but Sean Connery, you could say a famous English film star, he couldn't write his autobiography because it became so painful he didn't want to do it. Right. And you see, I, I processed all that over decades of therapy. So as I look back on it now, knowing that very, very, very few things are, are really important, I could look at the emotional chaos of being spurned by girls uh, and be amused by it because I knew it didn't matter. Do you see what I mean? At the time, it matters a lot. Or it was no longer wounding as, as it had been the first time mm. around. Um, you work through the emotion, really, you know, because that's what, that's what I think works sometimes. It's just to, to be with an emotion for a time. And if you really... Um, stand in the middle of that emotion, um, it begins to lose its power. Right. Coming from, from this, you know, comic uh, background that you have, which, by the way, was my first, expo- lucky me, was my first exposure to comedy. Uh, how, do you, how do you view the kind of comedy scene today when, when so much is just, you know, jokes about genitalia and kind of humor that is, that is of a very different uh, stripe than, than what you guys were doing? Yes, I mean, there's always been a lavatorial streak in, in, in humor, <laughs> although it's lavatorial rather than sexual. I mean, you know, if you think of uh, of um, Benny Hill, extraordinary number of references to breasts and bottoms and peeing and all that kind of thing. I think an awful lot of it is to do with the fact that not very long ago, younger people began to lose interest in most aspects of the world in which they lived. You know, the idea that it was an educated person had general knowledge and would have some idea where Bangladesh was and where Ecuador was and would have some idea of the sort of culture that they had and the kind of religion that they practiced or 
points of world history, you know what I mean? 1492 was also the date when the Moors were forced out of Granada, that kind of thing. But that was considered part of a good education. It isn't anymore. Education now is just a way of getting a job. I don't want to write a sketch about a young guy in the Victorian era who goes to Oxford and says he wants to study marketing. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's terribly funny. <laughs> But people now regard education as a way of qualifying for a job, and they don't have general knowledge. And years ago, I wanted to write a film about 1776. I mean, I think it's very funny that most of the British soldiers in America at that time were German. You know? Yeah. Um, where were they from? Brunswick and Hesse. And um, I thought it would be very funny to have people talking German at the very beginning and then they cut to the American trenches and the Americans would say, God, I am British. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. And people said, don't, they don't know about this stuff. <laughs> and that's what I realized. And I thought that um, Hangover was the sort of ultimate reduction of what happens when people are really only interested in celebrity, sports, sex, drugs. You see what I mean? That terribly gambling, that terribly narrow spectrum of interest. So you have to make hangover because if you make any other jokes, they won't get them. And yet they love life of Brown. And so it's not as though there isn't something out there to work with, but I don't think the, uh, the film uh, studios would would understand it at all. And and w when you sort of reflect on that, does, are, are you depressed by it? Are you? Yes, I'm depressed, but not in the sense that I feel particularly sad. I think that we're living in a very difficult time, all of us, all over the world. I mean, if you line up what's going on. <laughs> North Korea to start with, and then recently Aleppo, probably the greatest tragedy of the last 50 years, you know. Um, and then you have the South China Sea, and you have Ukraine being occupied by Russia, and you have Europe falling apart to a much greater extent, I think, than Americans kind of realize, um, because countries like Greece and Spain and Italy can no longer devalue in their currency is a good economy is a mess because they're bound to an exchange rate that is completely unsuited to the state of their economy. So there's a whole lot of things just falling apart. And then this wonderfully crazy figure, the orangutan, comes out <laughs> and the less interesting and educated people put him into power. And then you find that his, his um, cabinet picks disagree with him on absolutely central points of policy. You think, what on earth? And he puts his son-in-law in charge of the Middle East negotiations. I mean, if you wrote this, Leo, 10 years ago, people would have said it's just too silly. The, the colonel would appear, Graham Chapman would be too silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sir, I, I know your time is, is pressing. I just want to ask you one final question. Uh, this is one of the mm -hmm. tidbits. I, I should say to, to our audience that the, the book is marvelous. One of the most amazing things about it is that it actually covers most of your early life and, and not so much kind of the movies, which I, you know, as, as a big fan, uh, found lovely. But you do reveal um, the inspiration for The Black Knight from Life of Brian, which yeah. always struck me as the perfect metaphor 
for 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 Jewish history, right? They keep they keep stabbing, and we're like, we're okay, we're winning. And laughing. And laughing, sir. I cannot thank you enough uh, for your time and, and for, and for everything. It, now I have to go to Schenectady, which I spent a week learning how to pronounce. My condolences. <laughs> no idea what it's like. Thank you very much, sir. All right, bye. Olha o lado bom que a vida tem. Ha 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 ha. Olha o lado Certeza, um arco-íris está lá. Mas se a chuva já molhou, não adianta reclamar. Aproveite e lembre a infância, comece a cantar e olhe o lado bom que a vida tem. And now for something completely different: Mazeltovs. Mazeltovs of the week, Stephanie. I got a mazel tov to uh, Josh Kushner, brother of Jared Kushner, uh, the first son-in-law, who was spotted at the Women's March in D.C. He said he was observing when someone uh-huh. asked what he was doing there. But I, you know, I like seeing that. I'm a little disappointed that girlfriend Carly Kloss was spotted by the Daily Mail in New York that that day, but so mm. she wasn't there with him. But um, that's his go. girlfriend. Yeah, he was not wearing. <laughs> he he was spotted in in DC, but he wasn't wearing a pussy hat. So he like is only part of the resistance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's so tall that like he was very recognized. By the way, I am very intrigued by the idea of wearing a pussy hat as a yarmulke to shul. Like I don't know if Sid's will fit on my head. I don't know how stretchy it is, but if it, that's how stretchy the the pussy the boxes. <laughs> Guys, come on, take it easy. This is a, this is a family show. Liel. My muzzle of this week goes to Tablet's Armin Rosen, uh, who wrote a fantastic story you should all go and read about an incredible con man who uh, pretended to be a pro-Israeli activist, lived under assumed identity in Washington, D.C., spending a lot of money throwing lavish parties, only to try and get some very young pro-Israel activists in trouble for saying things that could come off as you know, World shady, conspiracy, uh, which is kind of incredible. The length to which some people would go to just to, you know, air their their anti-Israel. It's rapiness. an amazing piece, and, it's and an he did it for like piece. six months. This yes, wasn't just did. like a week yeah. long. He thing. was under. You do have to respect the guy for like pulling off deep cover for six months. It just shows I mean, you the the length of the insanity that is, or the scope of the insanity that is anti-Semitism. So go to tabletmag.com and uh, search for the piece under Armin Rosen. It is a great. It is a great piece. I love con man pieces, and it's it's a great piece. Um, my this is. Old, old hat by now, but my Mazel Tov is the pink pussy hat, and whoever invented—I'm sure we know that, right? We that yeah, there's it's like a, a knitting website. Okay, so it. the knitters who invented it—it's and this is why because I think we can all agree that um, that really good resistance needs humor, and I was really pleased because the left and and liberals in general and the right for that like American. political activists are not great with humor the way that like the resistance is under um, communism often were like had this really wonderful sense of absurdity and and that their literature was filled with irony and absurdity and American um, liberals tend to be really earnest and to be intersectional yeah and this was just Awesome. I just thought, oh, they actually put smiles on people's faces. Yeah. And more of that, please. More because the way to resist is to just laugh at them. And and I was so for it. I think it was just great. And I think it also made the pictures look so much better. And obviously, yes. like Donald Trump can't pretend they're his inauguration pictures. Yes. 
Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. We need a, mid- a nickname to put in the middle of Noah and Levinson. Like Noah Big Dog Levinson. Noah, I don't know. Well, what do you got, guys? Noah Top Dog. Top Dog? Yeah. I like Top yeah, Dog. Yeah, Noah Top Dog Levinson. And produced by Alyssa Top Girl? No. Nope. Alyssa Fort Knox Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. And Shira Harvard Talushkin. Rabbinic, I'm sure she would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi David Kaufman of Temple B'nai Jeshurun in Des Moines, Iowa. Why? Because he has degrees from Duke and UNC, and yet he holds it all together. Kosher slaughtering by Chico Lampedusa, my West Coast persona. Um, I'll get into that sometime. On Twitter, we're at Tablet Mag. Stephanie is on this thing called Instagram at S. Butnick. Our music is by Golem, and we record in Argo Studios, which is earthquake resistant. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.